It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. We've got blogs! Well, that's it. at the map of the week. Adventures in art! Le Chadron Comatique! Oui, oui! It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater RPG Show. Welcome to the Thought Eater Thought Pass. <laughs> hey, Jason here. Really enjoyed Wednesday's show. Lots of good stuff I'm going to go check out. Thank you for that. Thank you for putting all the links on your blog. Otherwise, <laughs> I'd be sitting there with a piece of paper and rewinding and everything else, you know, trying to furiously write it all down. Yeah, it's no secret that I'm not a, a 5e player, but, you, you know, if they release Spelljammer, I'd, I'd be into it. I really would. Although it's interesting to see how much longer we have 5e. But anyhow, got to go. Thank you for all you do. Talk to you later. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Kickstarters we're backing and funds will be lacking cause Quest is here. It's the most wonderful time of the year. What is up everybody? It is Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you're doing well. I'm in a good mood if you can't tell. Why? Because ZineQuest has started. Thank you to Jason for taking us into this episode. Jason, of course, has forgotten more about RPGs than Froth will ever know. Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Yes, ZineQuest has started. So this, uh, well, there's a little bit of everything in this show. As usual, on the Hump Day RPG show, we've got Zine stuff, blog stuff, RPG news, reviews, interviews, maps, free stuff, the whole shebang. But I got a lot of ZineQuest stuff to share with y'all because it is already outrageous. It's already outrageous. I'm already fighting to stay in line with my own guidelines. It's a fight. It's going to be a battle. So I am so excited. We've got a special guest on the program today, James Crane from Crumbling Keep stops by and talks to us about their offering for Zine for Zine Quest marching order. So James is going to join the club. Bunch of other stuff to get to. But first, got a couple of more messages. Got one from Larry Hamilton from Follow Me and Die. Not just the Follow Me and Die podcast, but Follow Me and Die blog, Follow Me and Die YouTube, Follow Me and Die product line that you can find on Drive Through. And Larry is calling in about Clue. Let's see what Larry's got to say. Hey, bro. This is Larry with Follow Me and Die. Just finally getting around to listen to this week's Wednesday episode. And you mentioned Clue and the different endings. I saw that. Uh, way back when I was in college, when it was released, so sometime between August of 1983 and May of 1987, and as I remember, they played all the endings after whichever ending yours had, then in the after credits, if you stuck around, you saw them all. 
was my recollection. So, enjoying your episode so far. Um, gonna, I'll call back if I have anything else to comment on. Keep it coming. Again, Larry Hamilton there, making reference to Clue, which came up in the context of different ideas running mystery games uh, over the last couple of Hump Day shows, Five Minute Fridays, and whatnot. And Larry sent me down the rabbit hole with that because you know how memories can be, especially when you're talking about, you know, over 30 years ago. First thing I couldn't remember, it seemed like the movie was late 80s, but then when I went look back, no, it was 85. So absolutely right in the range Larry was talking about. And it's just wild that I, I went and, you know, went and saw it that young. That was right around when I started playing D&D because we went and saw it when I moved from Alabama to Georgia. And that was in 85, late 85. Let's see. Let's see when it says. Come on. So, yeah, December 1985. The reason I remember that is because my parents got divorced. And when I, I saw Back to the Future in 1985, but I think that was like a summer movie. And that was before I moved. But then everything late 85 was after I moved. So that's kind of like, you know, there's those moments in your life where you can kind of put a timestamp on it. Like ET was 1982. That's how I can kind of remember everything around 1982 is by that movie. But anyway, I thought it was a little bit later, but no, it was not. It was 1985. But the other thing that it got me down the rabbit hole about was because when I saw it, I remember there was only the one ending. But see, I went and looked it up on Wikipedia and the Wikipedia has changed within the two days, two or three days that I looked at it. And then I looked up in other places and here's, here's what I found out. First of all, I was wrong that there were, there were only three endings three alternate endings for the movie. Whereas I assumed and kind of half remembered from some DVD years later that there were endings for everybody, but no, there were only three different endings. One was Miss Scarlet being behind it. One was Miss Peacock being behind it. And one was everybody having committed a murder. That was a little, you know, and it looks like they tried to make a fourth ending, but it was not very good, so they didn't use it. And it was, in, interestingly, John Landis from American Werewolf in London and other films, John Landis's idea to have the, ver the variety of endings. Now, <clears throat> it mentions now on the Wikipedia that audiences would be shown one of three endings, but that all three were included in the home media release. But when I looked at it, I swear to y'all, when I looked at it a few days ago, it said that it would show one of the endings and then show the other endings later. So I don't know what that means. Does it mean they did it both ways? Possibly. Possibly. But now the mystery talk has led to the talk about the clue, which has led us to another mystery. So take it as you will. Next, I got some messages from Ray Otis, and it was great to hear from Ray. Because it's like, you know, I haven't talked to anybody. I only just started the show back. So it's like I hadn't heard from Ray in like a year. You know, it's what it feels like. So it was really good to hear from Ray. Always somebody I want to check out what they're doing. And so there's more on that later. Ray's got a new project that I'm going to be talking about under the Zine Club. 
but Ray was calling in about the rule zero house rules and that kind of discussion that's been spilling over the last few episodes. So let's listen to that. Nice try. <laughs> I've been around this hobby way too long. You get sucked into an argument about rule zero. Uh, seriously though, a couple things. First, first of all, your analogy worked in so far as is making your point, but it also sort of works against you a little bit. Monopoly is a far, far better game if you play it by the rules, meaning no $500 sending in free parking. Uh, yes, properties go up for auction when you land on them and don't want to buy them. The only rule that I change is the stagger start, um, which is um, I, or am, I implement a stagger start, which means everybody has to roll and move all the way around the board before they can buy anything. And that separates people so that um, you don't all predictably land in light blue properties like right on top of each other in the median dice range on the first turn. So that's that's something. But that's a you know, difference between board games and role-playing games. So I think rule zero is entirely appropriate in role-playing games. I think your observation was absolutely correct that it somewhat changed with third edition forward where they tried to write the rules cleanly and um, streamlined in a way that there was either a rule for everything or you could extrapolate a rule for things that were in line with rules for other things. And so people want to play that by the book all the way up through fifth edition really um yes there, there's still wiggle room where you have to make rulings in fifth edition but mostly it's in the book or you can uh, treat it like something else in the book and that's the way it, it's about kind of putting rules in the player's hands instead of the gm's hands honestly and a lot of people prefer to play that way i don't think i prefer to play that way i think it's really for me it's not so much about having rules in the player's hands as it is about the weight of the rules just uh, it's too many for me i like the kind of older uh, editions with a little bit more white space in them great again to hear from ray and great stuff as as you typically typically get from ray plundergrounds podcast plunderground zine and i got some more zine stuff to be talking about uh, and, and Ray, actually, um, if you guys want to hear more from Ray, uh, Ray guested on one of the uh, Sunday Zine Clubs and had a great conversation. The stagger start with Monopoly. Now, that's a good idea. That is a good idea. And, yes, it, when you're talking a little bit about, uh, yeah, the, the more codified the rules and everything, uh, that definitely, uh, in my opinion, affects the the uh, the amount of house rules you see and then the other thing i was thinking about is it's kind of why so many pe people the flip side of it, it's kind of why so many people myself included heavily house rule first edition ad and d because gygax added so many rules but so many of them are horrible you know <laughs> or just really unusable uh by the book take a look at uh initiative uh, there's like a just initiative, the combat round, and uh, segments and everything. There's this whole document called Addict that you can find if you if you really want to hurt your brain, where it, it it shows all the examples and everything of you know taken from. They're not all on one page in the DMG or you know or or the PHB. They're all over the place, and taken all together and broken down to a document like that. The only thing. I think that any reasonable D&D &D player can think as they read it is, I'm not using this crap. <laughs> so, 
But anyway, great to hear from Ray. Like I say, I got some more stuff uh, from Ray coming up on the Zine Club section. So we're about to get started. Last thing I want to say is uh, I've picked up a couple of uh, patrons recently. I really appreciate that. If y'all like the show and want to support me, it's less than four cents a day. Patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. Check it out. You can also add the uh, the blog to your blog roll, share the show, let people know about it. I would appreciate that tremendously. And remember that all the links we talk about, I'm about to throw a ton of stuff at y'all, a ton. All the stuff I talk about is over at the Thought Eater blog. And just Google for that or go to froth, S-O-F, dnd.blogspot.com. Uh, so all the links from the show are over there. Otherwise, you're, you're never going to be able to, to, to get it all. you you got to go to the blog to, to, to make any sense of it. That being said, let's start on some maps. Maps of the week. All right. Some awesome map stuff this week. Jack is back. Yes. Dr. Jonathan Newell, who gets featured a lot in this segment because their cartography and, and everything is unbelievable. Artwork is unbelievable. I've been uh, sharing some images of their Gossamer city kind of laid out like a spider web recently. Well, Genial Jack issue two is out. Now this is, it's not exactly a zine because it's larger format. I think it's like, you know, whatever it is, eight by 11. Uh, but it's kind of a, got a zine-like feel to it still. But I talked about issue one of this a while back, and I've got a link up to my review of issue one that I did on the podcast. But what this is, issue one was all about this city set on top of a giant whale. And now with Genial Jack 2, the dock is taking you inside the whale. And so I put up a map, Herniaheim, the town, you know, inside the uh, the duodenum, I suppose, or section of the intestine of the of the whale. <laughs> and so uh, this this whole setting getting developed, it, it, it's wild. I've already ordered my copy. I've got a link up to where you can order a PDF or print copy, you know, print on demand from drive through for this. And I've also got a link uh, to Jonathan's the docs bearded devil blog bearded-devil.com announcing the release of this this is done through paolo greco's lost pages imprint and uh it's just great stuff it's a you know it's a must buy you know pick up both issues if you, if you don't have the other one really really cool and i'm very excited about getting a hold of it check out that map of herniaheim inside the whale the other map I picked out for you, I only did two maps this week because there's so much zine stuff. Uh, but this one was really cool. Over at Tim Knight's Hero Press blog, heropress2.blogspot.com. A map of New York, but it's got the Marvel superheroes imposed on top of it. Actually, it's more than Marvel. Oh, there's, a, there's some DC stuff in, in here too. Mostly Marvel though. But it's like where the superheroes hang out, where their neighborhoods are and everything. So you got, uh, oh, it's got everything from the Ninja Turtles to the Fantastic Four, Iron Man and everything. But I thought this was a cool map, uh, especially if you're a comic fan. So check that out. Zine Club. All right, so I am excited today to have joining the podcast James Crane of crumblingkeep.com. 
James and crew are working on a new project for Zine Quest 3 called Marching Order. So we are going to be talking about that and a bunch of other stuff. James, welcome to the club. Thanks, Roth. I appreciate that. So we're going to get into everything, but I always ask the first question uh, to folks that, that join the Zine Club. And I'm curious about your first exposure to zines. Were they gaming related or something else? So my first exposure to zines were back when I was a teenager. And while I was definitely playing games at that time, uh, it was through going to punk rock shows and things of that ilk that originally got me into zines and made me start making my own at the time. Uh, and I, I had never actually seen a gaming zine at that time, and it never occurred to me that those two things could meet uh, until many, many, many years later. Yeah, the first ones I saw were like skate zines. I used to skateboard, you know, live and breathe skateboarding when I when I was younger and, you know, wasn't falling apart from old age. So <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The first ones I saw were like, they were either music related, uh, people interviewing bands and things like that. Or some of them were more on like the personal art side of things where people just like write about their lives in a way that, you know, as a teenager, you didn't get that much, uh, the kind of honesty that was expressed was something that you didn't see a lot at the time. And so that was like really intriguing about them and just how obtainable they were to make. And uh, that actually led to me like making my first zine back in high school, which was uh, large, largely all the gusto of a 17 year old James writing about the problems in the high school under a pseudonym and dropping it off randomly around the schoolyard. And, uh, creating problems with it, but uh, I'd, I'd like to think I've refined my uh, procedure since then a little bit. Nice, nice. Well, um, before we get into the Zine Quest project you're working on, I did, uh, you know, I do mention crumblingkeep.com pretty frequently on the podcast. You know, I've been following your blog, but y'all are doing a, some other stuff over there. So it's kind of like a a group of y'all that do that site, right? Yeah, so so the breakdown is uh, like, Kremlin Keypad's heart is my friend Brad and I, who uh, we grew up together. He's in Pennsylvania, I'm currently in Chicago. I've done some moving around the country since then, but we've always kept closely in touch. And uh, he, he was a guy that I grew up playing like all the RPGs with. Like we would go, uh, he'd come, on summer vacation with my family and we'd go to a friend's house on the beach and rather than go out and do anything on the beach, we would lock ourselves into like a dingy camper behind the house and just play one-on-one -on -one Dungeons and Dragons for hours and hours and hours back in the days of second ed. Uh, and uh, you know, I've been, I've been roping him into projects ever since that first scene I talked about. Yeah. Uh, I roped him into that as well. And Crumbling Keep started with us wanting, we are basically, since we we were living far apart, we started playing uh, a game of second edition again, and we are enjoying it so much that we, you know, made the, had the thought that so many people have, oh, this is so fun, we should turn it into a podcast. Um, so that's what we did. And 
while I was editing and had to take a break from recording because the editing process was just so intensive, I started the blog uh, to kind of keep that creation itch going because the audio editing was fine and all, but it wasn't, I wasn't making anything new, right? I was just kind of putting together what was already there. Uh, so I started the blog. And so what we've done is changed immensely since then. And I'm, I'm really happy with what it changed into. But yeah, anyway, we're kind of the two core people behind it is Brad and I. And then when we started doing more of the professional dungeon mastering things, uh, eventually my schedule with it kind of filled up. So I started looking to other people I knew to that I that I know and trust that I know are also like good at what they do to start running some games as well. So uh, we have a good crew that we farm some of that out to as well. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things I wanted to talk about was the, the, the pro GM services, because it's something that kind of got more, you know, more and more popular. You saw it more and more starting a few years ago, kind of, mainly around the explosion of 5e and you know what was interesting was so many people's reactions to it you know you see some people that were you know jealous of it clearly or you know that just felt like you should only you know only gm for free but uh you know i'm of the opinion you should never hate on anybody for making money and the, the way i the way i've seen it grow it just seems like it makes a lot of sense because there's so many people wanting to play and not everybody, you know, if you know, you want to play on a Saturday with five people, no one want, wants to really go, you know, scrounge around on a discord and, and try to find a game and everything. So it just seems like there could be a lot of demand and, you know, just for people that want to play at a specific time with a specific group and don't want to deal with the whole game in and of itself of trying to find a, a GM. Yeah, uh, ab absolutely on that. And and you're right. It's it's very divisive. I think maybe it's becoming more accepted recently, but it still really strikes a chord with some people. And I can understand that. Uh, I, I know it's because when you've grown up playing the game with your friends and you kind of like trade it on and off the DM duty, like it has a very certain feel to it. And it seems... Uh, I could understand how it could seem strange for someone wanting to charge to do that. But I think there's increasingly a lot of groups out there, like you said, that don't want to bother like looking for a group. And also like if they have that group, no one wants to put in the time for the DMing to, you know, either read the adventures or make the adventures, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Cause there's a, a, I mean, as you well know, there can be a lot of work involved with that. Um, so for the people who don't like the idea of paid DMing, uh, I get that. And I say, cool, like, don't pay for anyone to DM you. Like, you got it figured out already. You don't need that in your life. I hear you. Uh, but there's also, uh, yeah, like, I get people that are, like, curious about the game, never played before. Like, I have a group that's in the tech industry that gets together every week, and this is their kind of, like, unwinding fun time and no one has to plan for it. They just have to show up and they love it. They come back, well, obviously week after week after week. And I have uh, some kids groups where, especially once quarantine started, they weren't having the social interactions face-to-face -face anymore. And their parents wanted to keep them seeing each other and keep them engaged. Uh, 
So it gets them from not playing video games all the time and things like that. And they really enjoy it as well and play multiple times a week. So I think, like, I think there's a definite market for it. And I don't think it's for everybody for sure. But I think for people like just getting into the game and maybe, because I think a, a lot of people, there's a barrier for starting a game where they're just like so nervous about learning the rules or getting it wrong. And we've, we've navigated that a lot of just like, don't worry about it. All you have to do is show up. We're going to teach it like it's a video game, one rule at a time. And it doesn't have to be this big, scary monster, which sounds weird for people who've been playing it for years and years because we're so like used to it. Uh, that's hard to imagine back to that first time intimidation of jumping into something completely new and different than what you're used to, especially if your experience with these things has been video games and whatnot, you know? Yeah, and it almost seems like what's it's a weird kind of paradox where some people are almost like cheapening the, you know, the the amount of work and the role of the GM when they're GMs themselves and they they should know how much they have to put into it. Like, so I was reading, uh, I was reading an article about someone that that all they do, I don't know if they still do it, but that all they were doing was was GMing, you know, as their job. So they're running like something like three games a day and, and working on it constantly. And I'm just thinking, I could never even stand to run that much D&D. So yeah, that's with... exhausting. And then also, you know, I think there's got to be a little bit of a different expectation. Like if I'm just running with my friends and stuff, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, the production quality, you know, the production values, I'm not being held to something, but when someone's paying you, I mean, I imagine you're, you know, you're giving it your all and trying to make it the absolute best it can possibly be, you know? Oh yeah, totally. There is, there is a definite difference in the games that I run for friends and the games that I run for clients. I, for the most part, people that sign up for the service want to play 5e because that's what they've heard of. And that's what's, uh, you know, what's all the hotness. So first, I, I really rarely run 5e outside of the paid games anymore. Like, I've, I have enough of in my life. So if I'm running for friends, I'm like, hey, do you want to play some uh, old school essentials or, uh, you know, some of the 2d20 games or Blades in the Dark or things like that? Especially, like, things like Blades in the Dark because there's just really no prep needed to deal with that. Uh, but for the 5e games, since everything's online now, I always make sure I have, like, all the encounter maps set up. I have all the story set up far in advance and I have like handouts for all the NPCs so they can remember who the people are and maps for all the locations. Like I try and make it as encyclopedic as possible on there to keep people both engaged in the plot and also keep the game moving along because if they're yeah, honestly, people are paying for the game. I don't want them to wait for 15 minutes while I'm like, okay, well, hold on, let me set up this encounter and put this miniature there. And, uh, it's also one of the downsides about playing online is I feel like the setup takes that much longer. And I think there's some upsides, but it just, it takes, it takes a bit of work to, to get all that design done on there for sure. Yeah. There it's a, it's a, there, there's good and bad. I mean, the good thing is you can have the most incredible maps and stuff in the world. Obviously yeah. you're, not, you're not, uh, you know, trying to draw everything on a dry erase Matt. you know, yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. you know, you, I know you've, you've checked out the show and everything. I'm always featuring cartographers. I mean, the level of, uh, the level of the art and talent right now in RPGs is just, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. So. Oh, it's superb. And you can just upload that map right to the, uh, 
right to the screen, lay a hex over it, darken out the parts you don't want them to see yet. You know, it's like things like hex crawls are super fun to do online. Well, let's talk about the Zine Quest project, Marching Order. Tell me about it. So Marching Order, I had the idea like maybe halfway through last year and started working on it and then got busy with a bunch of other CK stuff and put it aside. And then uh, when Zine Quest was coming up this year, I thought it was time to reprise it. And uh, I wanted to get something that had like that old school dungeon delving type of feel to it. Uh, but I also want it to be kind of like lighthearted and uh, easy and fun, kind of like the, the type of game you can break out and play over a few beers. So the idea behind it, and it pulls a little bit of influence from like computer games like Darkest Dungeons and things like that. But the idea behind it is uh, it's either solo or cooperative. So you can play by yourself or up to four people. And between the people playing, you buy four rogues and outfit them with gear and whatnot that you think you might need. And then you place them in a marching order. So the idea is like everything's too cramped to fight side by side. So every battle is gonna involve being in an order with one person first and then the next and the next and the next, right? So you got these four rogues in a line. And then when the adventure actually starts, it's like a choose your own adventure book type thing going on where you go to the first passage. It has a picture of the map section that you're in and each of the doors or stairwells or whatever you can go into has another passage number by it. So if you want to go through the door to your left and it says 10, you're going to go to passage 10 and read what happens there, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then underneath the map, it has other options like, hey, do you want to explore this chest? Go to passage, yada, yada. So that's the kind of structure of how these things are explored. And I wanted to kind of also harken back to that. Like, And I don't think it happens as much in games nowadays where you have someone in the party who's actually mapping the map as you go so that you can figure out how to get back out again or where you've already been, et cetera. So uh, that's why I have every section come with a, like a little picture of the grid map of the part that you're in. So anyway, when you run into a battle situation, the monsters are also going to be in a marching order where you have like the goblin shield boy up front and then the goblin uh, stick thief behind them and whatnot. So every character and monster, their attacks and abilities focus on spaces, like how far away something is from them, right? So the character at the front of the marching order, like let's say you have your cell sword at the front of the marching order, they can only hit things right in front of them. So they're in a good spot for that to use their basic attack. And it's all D6 based. You roll D6, add a, your stat modifier and trying to hit the uh, target number or the creature's defense, but then you have the archer and the archer can like hit things like five spaces away. Or you have the alchemist who hits the two creatures in the middle of the enemy's marching order. So it's all very space oriented, uh, but then the monsters have a lot of abilities that will mess your marching order up. So you might have it perfect and think, great, I just need to march them through this entire dungeon this way. But then the brute in the front hits you far enough that you fly back a few spaces and you know, a spider scares you enough that you move around a little bit and then something else will come and hit you from behind as part of their attack. Uh, so it's it's kind of has that fun kind of chaotic element of best laid plans gone to waste. And to emphasize that every character has uh, a table of qualities. They start with one, one, uh, one quality and one flaw. 
on this like D6 table. Their flaw is the one, their quality is the six. So at the end of every turn, they roll that six-sided dice. And if they roll the one, their flaw might activate. And if they roll the six, their quality might activate. And the flaws are like, I went for a very specific flavor with this. So the flaws are things like, I am way too hungover to do this right now. So you lose a turn or things like that. Uh, and then the qualities are like, you might steal money from one of your friends or something like that instead. But as you go through the game, you can get more qualities and flaws to fill that out. So that's that's kind of like the whole thing in a short little package there. Well, it sounds really cool. And one of the things that I really like about it is that it has a solo aspect to it. I think I know we already kind of talked a little bit, you know, about COVID affecting things. But I think that um, having the ability with a lot of these zines to, you know, use them by themselves is a really good thing not just right now but in general and in last year's zine quest a lot of the projects that did really well were things that were like solo journaling games and and, and zines are kind of well suited to to have that kind of solo intimacy something you can do by yourself so i, I think that that sounds really really cool I uh, had some inspiration there from like the Chaosium solo uh, Call of Cthulhu things they put out, the Alone Against the Darkness. Alone oh, Against yeah. The Frost, I got a bunch that. of that stuff. I love that stuff. Oh, yeah. They're so brutal. I love it. I, I don't know that I've ever actually gotten to a good end. I don't know if they have good endings, actually. <laughs> Is there a good ending in Call of Cthulhu? <laughs> You only went insane. Uh, if, there die, is, been, if, there, if there is a good ending in Call of Cthulhu, I've been playing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my case, I think I'm playing the solo adventures exactly right. Uh, but yeah, I also gained uh, inspiration from the, the Four Against the Darkness series. Yeah, I've, is, you know, I've, I've taken a glance at that, but I'm not super familiar with it. But uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're neat. They're like procedural dungeon crawls of like everything's pretty much randomized. Uh, draw this random shaped room on your map, roll to see what monsters are in it, roll to see what treasure is in it. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I like them. There's something, there's something simple about it and they, they theme them nicely. Well, uh, it sounds awesome and I wish you really good luck with it. And, uh, and also good luck. I know like me, you're looking forward to, to buying a bunch of other zines. So I wish your, I wish your bank account luck as well. Oh man. Yeah. My, I keep joking and it's not really a joke that my big goal is to sell more zines than I buy. And, uh, we'll see because every day there's just so much good stuff out there. I've been following uh Pandatheist blog and every day, just more stuff popping up there. I'm like, Oh yeah, that looks cool. I know, I know, I know, I know how you're feeling. Um, so, uh, but I did, I mean, things went really well last year. I, you know, I, I bought a bunch of stuff and, and there was only one that I was disappointed in, which, and there, there's only been like one or two that were, that, you know, there have been significantly late as well. So um, it was all, you know, it was a, just a really good experience last year. So it's it's fast turning into like, my favorite time of the year for gaming. I, it used to be kind of like free RPG day was something that was my main thing that I liked because I, I'd usually pick up something I'd never seen before or whatever else. I have a really good um, Tyke's game shop here in Athens. It's just a really great game shop. Anybody that's been through Athens would, 
would know that. So that was one of the things I'd always look forward to. But now Zine Quest is kind of like the most wonderful time of the year. Really is. There's just so much good, varied stuff that, and it's so accessible. You know, like I, I like the Five E, but I also like the OSR games and the story games and the system agnostic stuff. And it's just like all of it, all at once, from people with creative visions that just like haven't been out there yet. And there's just, ah, God, they're just doing so many cool things. All right. So at the end of each interview, I ask the questions three. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Question number one, what makes zines so magical? I think for a lot of people and for me, and this isn't the only thing, but one of the answers is definitely, uh, yeah, for when you when you grew up with zines, be it from skate culture or like punk shows or whatever, that like sense of nostalgia and the like the DIY aspect of it. And I think one of the things that has changed in culture from when I was growing up to now is that uh, like the do-it-yourself attitude just like thrives in our modern day world because of how many outlets there are for it. Like there are so many online marketplaces that you know, thrive on people making their own thing and have given them an outlet to do so. Like the itch, itches, itch, uh, itch.io saying the itches sounds weird or Etsy or things like that. Uh, but that said, to get that physical product and have it just be so accessible to both the person buying it and the creator just allows a cool exchange of ideas that I don't think would happen otherwise. Like you get the new creators that are bringing things to the table that haven't been seen yet before. And that's, I think through zines up for any genre, not just games, but it just allows those really rad new crazy things to get out there. Uh, question two, uh, what is something you've learned making zines that you wish you knew before you started? Hmm. If I look back to my, my like original teenage run with scenes, the biggest thing I think I learned is that I, I don't want to say anyone can do this, but almost anyone can do this and it only takes doing it, which taught me a lot about like a lot of things in life really. Uh, and I think currently the thing I'm learning is check various publishers before you commit to one. <laughs> <laughs> all right and question three do you have a favorite zine so i have a favorite line of zines right now uh, and i don't think they're doing anything for zine quest unfortunately but the uh manifestist omnivorous scenes uh, i have not even heard of those they have some up on uh i think they have them all up on exalted funeral but the the design of them is first off absolutely fantastic uh, what uh what is the name of it again so people can hear it uh manifestus omnivorous so they're they're all adventures and they have 10 rules that each adventure must adhere to all books are adventures they must be system agnostic take place on earth they can only have one location they can only have one monster the adventures must uh include saprography or osteophagy please ignore my horrible pronunciation of those words uh they have to have a voracious eater 
be less than 6,666 words, only two colors, and they cannot be in good taste. <laughs> uh, so those are their 10 uh, rules for them. And so far I have two. I think they have four out altogether. And the two of them I have are very different from each other. Both fulfill those rules, but they just have like, like the first one I got, uh, well, actually the second one I got, but the first one I read, my wife bought me for Christmas, bring me her bones. And the cover is held on by like an elastic band that kind of reminds me of a hair tie. And then the zine inside of that is staple, but you can remove the cover on the inside of the cover is this really cool kind of map thing that looks somewhat like Dolly-esque in the way that it's put together. And it's made to keep track of time and omens. And you basically roll dice on them. And depending on where the dice land on the map and what the dice show, those determine the omens for the day and like the physical happenings for the day in this adventure. Um, and also determine like the passage of time and things like that. And it's just, just really, I didn't understand the system until I was like three quarters of the way through the zine. And then it clicked. I was like, oh, this is really strange and fantastic. Uh, but yeah, they're doing some really inventive things and I can't wait to get the other ones in the series. Cause they're just like, they're unique. They're unique and kind of, yeah, it's just agnostic. So you can use them for anything, but I definitely, want to use them for some like old school essentials gaming in the near future. Wow. Th those sound different and definitely, uh, kind of right along lines of what I, I love about zines, you know, something unusual, something different, something creative, something, uh, you know, that you don't see every day. So that's awesome. Yeah. Given, given what I've heard you talk about on the show, I feel like you'd really enjoy them. Um, you know, I had you repeat it twice so I could write it down for myself so that I could <laughs> take a look. So. Yeah, and I can, uh, I can send you a link, too. Well, James, thank you so much for coming by and talking with us. Really interesting discussion. Um, so I just wish you the best of luck with Marching Order. I'm sure some people are going to be wanting to check that out. I'm going to have links to everything so everybody can take a look at it. And, uh, yeah, good luck with it. Thanks, Ralph. And, you know, it's it's real nice to have you back. And every Wednesday and Friday, I have your theme song stuck in my head for the rest of the day. So thank you for that. <laughs> All right. Thanks. No problem. All right. So that was awesome to have James on the show. And uh, I've got links up, obviously, to crumblingkeep.com, as well as that marching order pre-release Kickstarter site so that y'all can follow along with that. Uh, I really appreciated James coming by and also kind of going into detail about what you can expect about like the solo system and everything that's in that. So it sounds really cool. So be sure and check that out. Like I mentioned, Zine Quest <clears throat> is upon us. And yeah, so I'm following a bunch of stuff. I've already pulled the trigger and backed a bunch of stuff. It was stuff that I knew I had to have. Uh, so I'll, I'll get into that. Now, I've mentioned a few times the best place to be following along with all this because it is so much, so much has already launched and so much is going to be happening throughout the month. You, you really need to go over to the Bonebox Chant blog, Pandatheus blog, boneboxchant.wordpress.com. They're doing a great job of breaking it out and they're also giving interesting data about it. The number of zines that have been released, how many have funded, incredibly in one day. 60% of all the zines that have 
come out have already funded. That's incredible. That is incredible. Uh, in fact, 18 zines have 100 backers, five have 200 backers, and one zine already has over 500 backers. The Vast and the Dark has six, over 600 backers in one day. You want to talk about demand. Uh, this zine thing, it, it's, it's great. It is awesome. So they've got some statistics. Uh, five zines have made over $5,000 already. That's incredible. $100,000 in one day has gotten, has been thrown at zines. You know what I'm saying? It's great. So, um, anyway, they've got a list of all the zines and what's really helpful is it's got, it notes the cost of the PDF, the cost of the print right there for you to help you with budgeting as well as when it's ending. Cause some of these are really short one in fact is going to be uh destination uncharted is only funding through the fifth uh gamazine issue three only through the ninth so some people aren't even taking the full two weeks so be sure and go and check this out because you can easily open these and take a look at all of them if you're only going to be looking at one spot it's got to be the bone box chant and i i want to say on behalf of everybody to pandatheist you rock. Thank you for doing that. You make it, you're making it so much easier for people. So you deserve a huge thank you. So thank you for doing that. I've also got a link that's uh, just over to Kickstarter with the uh, kind of keywords tagged um, uh, that I think Ramanan put on Twitter. And so I snagged that link. Ramanan, of course, behind the Rammies, the only awards program, you know, the only RPG awards that have ever truly mattered, the Rammies. Uh, but anyway, so that's got all, you know, that's where you can keep up with it. And it sort of puts the new ones at top on the top. So if you've already been looking at it and you go back and, and look, the stuff that's on top is, is likely going to be new. Uh, man, there's already like... Wow, I think there's already like 12 since I looked at it. There's nine since I looked at it like an hour ago. So anyway, those are what you've got, your tools for looking, for being able to follow everything. Between those two things, you're going to be able to follow it all. I can't help you with, you know, your willpower to resist it. But, but anyway, uh, Pete Jones over at the Dragons Are Real podcast has a zine as well, dragonsarerealpodcast.tumblr.com. I put up a link from them where they're talking about the zines that they're following along. So you can see Pete's list. A lot of good stuff on there. Some stuff that I've already that I've already taken a look at. Then I've got a YouTube video up, a link to the YouTube video, and this is from Plus One XP. And there they did a video that has gotten a lot of views it's it's got uh well over 500 views in like a day or so on their most anticipated games of zine quest 3. so you can take a look at that you know see what some other people are looking at and all right so you know i mentioned i've talked about this numerous times how i'm on a back grant look my origin story is in the old school gaming because i'm old <laughs> Uh, but I've been encouraging people to, 
take a look at some stuff that is outside your wheelhouse, some unusual stuff. And so let's take a look at a couple things. This struck my, uh, the creator had emailed me about it and it's a perfect example of, um, of the kind of thing I was talking about. It's called little Katie's tea party, a tea drinking indie tabletop role-playing game. And let me get to the email because, uh, hold on a second. I should have had all this open. I've got so much zine quest stuff that I might need to kind of pause the recording to reopen some stuff. because it's a lot to sort through. Okay. From grumpy bear stuff. Where's the email? Okay. All right. Eduardo Kramashi, who works under the grumpy bear stuff, you know, label. And they said, Little Katie's Tea Party is an indie tea drinking tabletop role playing game. It's about a girl who has now grown up. You'll play as her imaginary friend and you recall the difficult moments of her past when you as a friend stood with her. This game is meant to be played at a proper tea party and tea drinking is part of the game mechanic. So put aside the, the creativity that you're already hearing from that. But I'll tell you, I was honestly almost kind of moved to tears hearing the, the, the description of it because I have a nine-year-old daughter that's growing up so fast. And it made me think about, you know, all the things she's going to go through all the times I won't be able to protect her, all the preparing I'm trying to give her for, you know, to, to be able to, to face challenges in life and everything. And I just thought it was so beautiful. The idea that you play as this girl, this girl now grown up as her imaginary friend, as you recall the difficult moments of her past when you stood with her. So I think that's just a beautiful concept. And it's the kind of thing that is so perfect for zine quest, so perfect for a zine. And it's the exact sort of unusual, you know, project that's, you know, maybe completely outside of what you normally play and normally look at that, uh, that I encourage people to think about. So little Katie's tea party, uh, is, is one that I'm, I'm following and, uh, and that I, I really just thought that was a beautiful idea for a game. Now, completely, just to just to show you the, the range of stuff you're going to see, I'm going to completely shift gears now to the absolutely not safe for work, like incredibly unsafe for work. Uh, what is the name of this one? Pistol packing bondage nuns from Dimension Sex. <laughs> I mean. Talk about a uh, talk about shifting gears, right? Pistol packing bondage nuns from Dimension Sex. Now this is a satirical game put together by Andy Lennon and uh, and and crew. And you know they mention so you, you have no um, you have no qu kind of question you know where they're coming from. They mention that they're Committed to progressive social activism, the fight for universal suffrage, worker solidarity, animal rights, and environmental reform, right? So they give you that, but the, the thing is incredibly, like I say, satirical. Like uh, you, you, you fight against, like one adventure is called Scourge of the Vaccinators. So you're, you're fighting against the vaccinators. One of the great quotes, there's another quote here.
false prophets, socialist YouTubers, and atheist comedians have swayed the faithful from the unity of the flock. And in the absence of the twin guiding principles of guilt and fear, humanity has descended into base madness as their sexual prowess withers. As wave after wave of roiling chaos threatens to tear the, tear the entire planet asunder, a rift is torn in the very fabric of the universe through which they, they emerge, the pistol-packing bondage nuns from Dimension Sex. Avenging angels of piety and promise on a mission to restore the cosmic order and all-beef diets. So a lot of humor here, a lot of scathing, scathing social commentary. And a lot of absolutely not safe for work uh, material. So anyway, I just, I just wanted to put these next to each other to, to kind of give that, <laughs> give you an idea of the range of stuff you're going to see with ZineQuest this year. Amazing! I'm following both of those. I probably will end up backing them both. So let's look at some other things. Some other bloggers kind of put up stuff they're working on. Um, Daniel High Moon at danielhighmoon.com is doing one and you know i was talking a little bit to to james about um solo zines being great for solo games and journaling games and stuff like that and so this was was one that's like a journaling game called through hiker where uh it's got a card based system and it's you have prompts and you're you're writing as a hiker on a long hike you know so it's called through hiker something totally totally different and you know unique that uh, that you can be looking at let me open some more of these up so i got a bunch got a bunch i want to make sure i do these in order like i say i was too many to do this segment there were too many links to have open at once i wouldn't be able to navigate it so gelatinous cube over at gelatinouscubism.wordpress.com they put up a, a post called art for zine quest 3 where they're talking about some of the art they did and they did this great spider attacking adventurers, this great piece of art, crab spider attacking for their project in the shadow of tower silver ax. And so that one just launched today. So we've got a link over to that at the bottomless sarcophagus, bottomless sarcophagus.blogspot.com. They've got one, a setting zine called the thawing kingdom. And, uh, and so I've got some information, the pre-launch page and stuff like that. Um, new tables of spells, items, and more. And the art, you know, it looks really good. Uh, some of the setting material, they worked on their blog, putting it together into a zine for the Thawing Kingdom. And then I had to mention this one, Amanda Lee Frank, the talented creator behind the uh, Garbage Barge zine from last year's i uh, got a job on the garbage barge certainly i'm sure some listeners checked that one out well amanda has a new project called vampire cruise coming soon a rules light osr style adventure vacation 30 pages of maps mummies mutiny and every kind of vampire vampire cruise um both of these with like an aquatic theme. I wonder if Amanda has uh, spent time on the coast or on a boat or maybe just likes boats, water adventures. But uh, I got a job on the garbage barge is one you should already be looking at. And Vampire Cruise uh, absolutely looks like one to check out. 
Tim Knight over at Hero Press put up <laughs> a funny cartoon, uh, the, a Kickstarter cartoon that absolutely applies to uh, to what's going on with ZineQuest. So I'll put that up for you to check out. And now let's look at what I have already backed. I don't know why you're making me log in again. All right, so some I've already been mentioning over the last few weeks. Uh, the Through Alton's Door, number three. That's actually a two-part zine. And there's even an additional adventure zine. So uh, it's three zines. And uh, so I had to back that. There's been a couple of Mothership things. One's called The Burning of Carbax. Now, it didn't seem to be labeled for, as for zine, for zine Quest, but it just got released and it's like a zine. So I'm guessing that's part of Zine Quest. Uh, but it wasn't labeled that way. So there are a couple of Mothership things that I've already backed. That and The Drain. I talked about that a while back. Um, Many Crips of Lady in Grade. Now this is from Tim Shorts. Uh, talk about a zine creator. Tim Shorts has probably put out, you know, a hundred or more zines. And uh, I backed their Patreon, Gothridge Manor Patreon, to get my hands on every single one of them that I can. So of course I'm going to back that. Komei Martin who incidentally did one of my favorite games of last year, Green Dawn Mall, has a new game coming out called Two Summers. And this is another one that that uh, has kind of like a, a different idea, a unique idea, something out of the ordinary that you might want to take a look at. A diceless RPG where you play the same characters 30 years apart as they live two summer adventures as teens and adults. So you had an adventure 30 years, you know, when you're young, but then you come back, to the same spot, maybe with the same group, you know, 30 years later. So it's got a kind of like an aging thing, uh, memories, aging, getting older, uh, friendship, that kind of stuff, two summers. So I'll, I like the concept and art of that. It sounds very different. So it's something that I wanted to look at. Rebel Scum, the anti-fascist space opera RPG zine. This one's done really well so far for, for you know, um, uh, Partly because the graphic design looks amazing. It's got a lot of stuff like old Star Wars action figures, art kind of stuff with it. And then the, the theme of, uh, you know, fighting fascists and mixing it with Star Wars and everything. Rebel scum. That's when I took a look at. Logan Dean, you know, I had Logan on the show, I guess last week. Is Tom flying that fast? Uh, and they talked about their game, The Company, that they successfully did last year. They've got a supplement to that. If you didn't listen to that interview, go back and check it out. It's another week ago or two weeks ago. Time's really flying. But I'm following a bunch of stuff, too. And there's too much. I mean, you know, I'd love to buy even more, you know, than I'm doing. But so these ones I'm kind of following. I'm waiting to see what else comes out and, and what I can do. Um, the Haunted Hamlet four low prep modular locations to drop in your game. This is from the group that did uh, Willow last year, which is a really good zine. I saw one where they've got it set up to look like um, chick track pamphlets for Dungeons and Dragons. I'm taking a look at that. Demons, Devils, and Dungeons. Anarchy, a role-playing game set in the no future of 1983, a punk-centric role-playing game. And this kind of fits in with the, the, the old punk zine aesthetic. Uh, some of these, you know, I don't know anything about because I haven't launched, like Project 8-Ball, a game of weird conspiracy. Boy, that's already funded. Wow. Some of these, have, some of these between, me follow, between me putting them up as something to follow, they've already funded. 
Low stakes, a game to play in the shadows, vampire game inspired by what we do in the shadows, you know, the comedy vampire stuff. And then I already talked about the pistol packing bondage nuns. And then uh, Scurry. Now, this is from Dungeons on a Dime. Really talented creator. want to say they're in Scotland, but I've tried to order everything they do once I saw how talented they were. So Scurry, that one uh, has not has not come out yet uh, a system for one to two hour adventures is tiny beasts in a massive forest long abandoned by humans scurry so anyway i've got links up to the ones that i've already backed but um, um you know there'll be there'll be many many more i'm sure so but i'm interested uh, uh you know i'm interested in what other people are looking at i'm going to keep looking at the uh the blogs and everything keep sharing as much of this as i can with you but like I say, take a chance on something that is maybe a little bit uh, outside of the ordinary for you, and I think you'll be happier for it. Uh, so finally, uh, now that we've talked about some ZineQuest stuff, I got a call from Ray Otis about another project. Let's listen to that. Hey, Froth. I just wanted to let you know uh, about my latest zine project. I released it a couple of months ago for free. It is called The Orbuculum which is uh, spelled like it sounds, if you think that hard C sounds like a C and not a K. <laughs> it's O-R-B-U-C-U-L-U-M. And an orbuculum is uh, a seeing stone or, or crystal ball. And the magazine is um, about uh, old school essentials and, and or BX or original edition. And it is analysis and rules clarifications and in some place rules enhancements. Um, specifically in the first issue, I do a hard breakdown on uh, monster damages and armor class and everything and ranges. And I also look at the treasure types, uh, among other things. So you can get that for free at rayotus.itch.io that's r-a-y-o-t-u-s rayotus.itch.io and the zine is called the orbuculum i'm working on issue two right now so you heard again there from ray otis on the orbuculum i've got a link up to that over at ray's itch page and ray's got a ton of cool stuff at their itch page if you haven't spent some time over there but this looks really cool uh you know ray is uh, not to blow his head up any more than it already is probably, but Ray is a really smart person with some really good ideas. And so this has got some, some neat stuff to take a look at. So if you might want to, you know, port into your classic D and D BX or old school essentials game, uh, such as tweaking the combat sequence, um, a middle ground between fixed D six damage and variable weapon damage, dramatic ways to generate character ability scores and more. So that is definitely worth a check out and it is free to download. So I've got a link over that and be sure and check out more of their stuff. Thanks for letting me know about it, Ray, cause I completely missed it. So I really appreciate you doing that. If anybody else has any zine related news, wants me to mention something, don't be a stranger. I love to share other people's work. Uh, so, you know, you can always leave me a message anchor.fm forward slash thought eater or you can email me, frothsof at gmail.com. Hump day blogorama. All right, so wow, that is a lot of show already, but I've got a bunch more to throw at you. Let's talk about some cool stuff spotted on the blogs. A couple things from over at the Grognardia blog that I thought were interesting. One is some news about Chaosium's basic role-playing system. They now have an SRD. I think I mentioned something about that 
but they've all got it. They've got it set up for royalty-free licensing for use by third parties. So it's got links to to check that out. James, I agree with what James types here. I think it's exciting news. It's quite possible we'll start seeing whole new BRP games being published, which is remarkable. It's a great system, really great base system to use for any game. Really easy to learn and uh, easy to GM. So anyway, check that out. They put up another post that I thought was interesting to old schoolers. Rob Kuntz, one of the original players of D&D, with Gygax, uh, has signed a deal with Paul Stormberg, who is kind of handling the Gygax estate. Um, and is going to be able to publish and has the licensing rights to some of Rob Kuntz stuff, including Kuntz original Greyhawk castle levels. So maybe we'll see some old school um, stuff come out from them. I know that uh, Rob Kuntz put out the El Raja Key, which was almost just like a document dump full of old, you know, really interesting stuff from from back in the day. Uh, so anyway, there's that announcement there. We'll see what that develops into. Uh, someone pointed this out to me, and I started posting my blog in it over at the the OSR Reddit. Just reddit.com forward slash r forward slash osr. There's a, if you like what I'm doing on this show, you'll probably like this too. There's a weekly post that Shuttered Room is doing over there for an OSR blog role. So if you're a blogger, want to try to reach more people, you can go over and check that weekly post out and add your blog to it. It's a good way to, to maybe see some blogs you haven't seen before. Different circles seem to go on different social media, you know what I mean? A couple of cool series going on at the Shuttered Room blog, shutteredroom.blogspot.com, as well as the Bogeyman's Cave. The Boogeyman's Cave. I'd spell it with two O's, though, right? How would you spell Boogeyman? Maybe you spell it B-O-O-G-I-E, huh? But anyway, looks like the Bogeyman's Cave. Boogeyman's Cave. This is Tristan Tanner's blog. They're both doing series on going through the monsters from the Monster Manual. Uh, and that's what's happening at the Boogeyman's Cave. And then from the Monster Manual 2 over at Shutter Doom. And they're going monster by monster with little commentary. And so these are both really entertaining series. I'll put up a link to the most recent post from both of them on it, but you can kind of link back to the other ones. I in particular like what Tristan is doing because Tristan's doing an actual, you know, rating, a star rating, a uh, maximum of five for each monster. And a lot of the commentary on both of these uh, uh, blogs is really funny. So if you want to go you know, monster to monster with little commentary. It's pretty, uh, pretty entertaining. I thought that, that was good. I got those links. Then uh, Justin Ryan Isaac does a really great Halls of the Nephilim blog, punverse.blogspot.com. They put up a, a link to a YouTube video, Things No One Says in D&D. And so it's kind of like a comedy D&D video, Things You Would Never Say. So check that out. It's, it actually is pretty amusing. Um, 
Wayne over at Wayne's Books. Now, this is a blog slash store. Wayne has a store focused on a lot of old school stuff. I've mentioned them before. One thing that they'll do is when they get a cool product in the store, they'll also do a little retrospective post about it. And this is a game that I've always heard of, but I know nothing about. And it was cool to see a good look inside the box and learn a little bit more about it. And that game is Dragon Quest First Edition. First and second edition, actually. And so, yeah. Uh, has anybody out there played Dragon Quest? I'd love to hear from you if you have. Um, and you can, you know, maybe tell us, tell listeners a little bit more about the game and how it worked. And I'll put you on the show. So anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. Wow. Anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. If you've played Dragon Quest first or second edition from SPI. Let us know and break it down for us. Over at the OSR Simulacrum blog, Simulacrum, Exploring OSR Design. I thought this was an interesting post. This is, it doesn't have a name for his, for his blog it is. Let me double check. Yeah, no, I got nothing. It's called Party Size and Old School Play. And it's going and looking through the different editions about the recommended size of parties. But starting with OD&D, it actually says, at least one referee and from four to 50 players can be handled in any single campaign. 50 players? No. 50 players can't be handled. Even with the simplicity of the rules, I, I, I don't see it. But they mention how if it ever even was a standard, it seems to have been rapidly abandoned because less than five years later with AD&D, it states that the game is ideally for three or more adult players, which sounds a lot more reasonable than four to 50. 50? Better bring some extra Mountain Dew. Now, maybe it is making reference to party size but it does say players, but party size. I mean, that's still huge, but you know, there was much more emphasis on henchmen, hireling, hirelings, whatnot. One of the reasons I wanted to post this one is because it reminded me of a, a Twitter conversation, not really a conversation, a tweet I saw somebody post where they said, so, Hey, if you have a party with a bunch of, that has a bunch of henchmen and hirelings, do you raise the encounter level or raise the encounter difficulty to, to match it? And I said, hell no. Why would you do that? No way. First of all, what is encounter level? What does that mean? <laughs> In old school play, there's no, there's no semblance of balance. There's no, the closest you'll get to balance is looking in the books and it'll say, you know, the monsters that you can find on level one, level two of a dungeon or whatever. But once you're in the wilderness, that all goes out the window. And uh, also, you never know the number, how many you're going to face. And even if you were making your own encounters, designing your own adventure and everything else, I think it'd be lame to punish the party for being prepared. I think uh, even in the old school adventures, they all assume 
that you're have that you have some some backup with you. In fact, in some of the great introductory modules like like Hamlet, um, it, it it it's got people that want to be your 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 henchmen and hirelings, and then they'll stab you in the back. But it's just I just think it would be wrong to say uh, oh, they got some henchmen. Now I'm gonna really really ump the ante. It's already it's already difficult and, and it's already deadly enough. That's why you have the henchmen, right? So so anyway, just some uh, some stuff about the way that uh, recommended party size and and that sort of thing has changed over the years. So check that out at OSR Simulacrum simulacrum.blogspot.com the last thing i've got this was just kind of like at the wizards watsy blog they're talking about the streaming game stuff of legends and what makes this unique is they've got puppets like muppet like puppets to represent the characters that are playing in the streaming game so i've got a uh, a youtube link where you can play the uh, trailer for this and so if you're not previously, you know, a fan of streaming games, maybe this is one you'll want to check out. I'm going to give it a watch, see what it's all about. I like the idea of using the, uh, the Muppets. Random tables. The show goes on with some random tables. We've got a couple of tables we're going to look at this week, starting with one from K-Tray over at the D4 Caltrips blog, blog dot d4caltrips.com 100 holy taboos and so these are kind of things like that can be like you run into some clerics in a town and they've got some strange customs and taboos and stuff like that these would be fun for you know just npcs or you could uh, if you you know depending on the game you might have your cleric roll some of these at, at character creation they'd be kind of fun to, to force them to have to do but anyway, there's a downloadable PDF for this that I am trying to open. And we'll roll and we'll find out a few taboos for our cleric. All right, here we go. Uh, one, they have to abstain from quaffing any magical potions or elixirs. Oh, you wouldn't want that one as a player. Let's see. Uh, you have to eat at least five meals a day. So maybe perhaps a portly, a portly cleric. Uh, you have to, uh, they believe in a swallowing live insects, small fish, or other tiny creatures. So maybe some weird sacrament of swallowing some live creature. That's, that's, these are kind of rough. Uh, and finally... Uh, you can consume no food or drink that is heated by a flame. So you get the idea. A hundred of these from K. Trey, one of the masters of the random tra table over at D the D4 Caltrips blog. Over at the Mance, the Mance Gaming .blogspot.com. This is Cackle Charm. Oh yeah, good old Cackle Charm. They've got a post. Twenty monster modifiers. If you want to spruce up some random monster encounters, roll on this table. Be sure and mention how these monsters look a little different or unique to those of their ilk. And so these are ways to kind of add a little extra, a little extra to some monsters that might be encountered. Kind of like to a template. 
So let's see what one of these is. Uh, brutal. So you add this to the monster, you know, you run into some goblins or something. But these are brutal goblins. So they're covered in blood, claw marks, scars. They're pierced with bladed and jagged weapons. They look savage and incredibly violent. If they kill anyone, they will desecrate the corpse. They will desecrate the corpse. There's no question about it. Uh, and so it also gives them uh, a little mechanical benefit. So on attack roll of 20, they deal double damage. If you manage to escape from them, they'll, they will tear into themselves or kill one of their own members in a fit of rage. So if you get away, they're not happy. So anyway, check those out. Free stuff. Did someone say free stuff? Oh, I got some good stuff for y'all this week. Wow. A lot of show this week. A lot of show. Can't stop now. Jez Gordon. Really talented designer. Amazing uh, graphic designer. Artist. He's working on the Feral RPG. Got a link up for that. They also have done a lot of work with Star Wars. Jez Wars, as I refer to it. Back a while back, I, I posted some kind of abridged rules documents they put together that are really helpful if you're running Star Wars D6. Well, now they shared Star Wars Lightspeed, kind of a rules light Star Wars hack, D6 sort of hack uh, that is really, really awesome. You got to download it. If you like Star Wars D6, you're going to love this. So I got a link up for that. Star Wars Lightspeed. Great stuff from Jez Gordon. At the Cthulhu Reborn blog, CthulhuReborn.wordpress.com, Deanna, Deanna Delayed, Dean Adelaide, it's probably Dean Adelaide, has done a game called Apocathulu. And they state that in December they released the Apocathulu SRD, the bare bones version of their RPG engine. So it's got a link to that as well as a new hack for it, Victorian Age Cthulhu from Apocathulu. Check that out. Over at the Frugal GM blog, one of my Hump Day Blogorama Hall of Famers, the Frugal GM, they posted about a free GM resource, Smithsonian Open Access a place where you can download, share, and reuse millions of the Smithsonian's images right now without asking. And so it's a ton of stuff that is all Creative Commons zero content. That means the Smithsonian will allow you to use it free of copyright restrictions for any purpose, free of charge, without further permission from the Smithsonian. And so, yeah, for people like me, you want to have access to all this kind of stuff for your RPG projects. Check that out. Smithsonian open access. I really want to take my daughter to the Smithsonian institution museums sometime. Obviously with COVID happening, uh, I think they've been closed for, for a while, but I went, I got the, the, the great, you know, um, my father took me and my little brother there when we were really young and I was very lucky 
you know, privileged to be able to do that. It's absolutely incredible. I don't know if any listeners have been able to go to those museums, but I mean, they got the Wright brothers playing. They've got you know space capsules and um, just all kinds of amazing stuff. Uh, di- I mean, you know, massive dinosaur skeletons and um, it's uh, it's uh, if you're ever lucky enough to go, <clears throat> you'll never forget it. Over at Monkey Blood, Glenn Seal's blog, monkeyblooddesign.co.uk. I was talking last week or the previous week about how the one-page dungeon contest 2020 winners had been announced. And I put up all the PDFs of all the the uh, all the entries you could download for free. And now Glenn Seal has put up all of their one-page dungeon contests from the year, you know, but going back in time. So there's six of these. You can download all these. And if you know anything about Glenn, they're a really, really talented cartographer and stuff. So these are all really cool. So check those out. Scurples at the Coins and Scrolls blog. Coinsandscrolls.blogspot.com Put up a post. The massive community hex crawl is complete. So they have been working on a kind of community project. 42 different people contributed hexes and encounters to this. So the I, I think I posted this this was happening you know close to a year ago and now it is complete so you can check that out the massive community hex crawl over at coinsandscrolls.blogspot.com now this was awesome the one page derelict jam winter 2021 has finally ended uh, but it's a self, the idea of a self-contained dungeon adventure in w- one page with like a theme of science fiction, a derelict abandoned ship station installation of some sort. And there were a number of submissions, 19 entries, and all but one of them are free to download. They're not even pay what you want. They're just free. So if you want a bunch of like derelict ship space adventures, one-page adventures. These are really, really awesome. So you definitely need to check this out. This is over at Itch. I've got the link up again. All the links are up at the Thought Eater blog. And this was hosted by Zeruher. Great job, Zeruher. Really cool idea. And a lot of awesome stuff came out of that. Told y'all it was awesome stuff. Remember, Thought Eater blog has got links to, to take you to all this stuff I'm talking about. Clericswearingmail.blogspot.com, CWR over there. A Dead Wizard's Floating College. So this is a free adventure. Download the PDF. I've got a link to their blog post about it. It's got the adventure kind of in blog form, and then there's also a link in there for a PDF of it. A Dead Wizard's Floating College. And then finally, I probably could have put this under the zines, but it ended up under the free stuff. There is a new edition a new issue of frontier explorer out and uh so it's for star frontiers and it's been running for a long time uh what number is this 31 wow god 31 issue 31 of frontier explorer and that is a free download and that's what i got the final topic All right, I've been starting to have a few microphone problems. I've had to go back and do some edits. Hopefully that doesn't mess up while I'm doing the final topic. 
You wouldn't do that to me, universe, would you? Oh, the universe certainly would do it to me. But anyway, I thought I would tackle some of these changes to race and culture and lineage that's going on in D&D. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, well, you may have noticed over the last year or so, D&D has made some efforts like going back and kind of putting disclaimers on some of their less racially sensitive products of the past, things like Oriental Adventures, for example. And they've also made some efforts in how they present race and ancestry and lineage and culture in their books, starting with the Tasha's Guide book that came out recently, and then most recently with their new Unearthed Arcana free PDF, Gothic Lineages. Now, what's interesting is that the loudest voices kind of whining about these changes have, of course, predictably been from the folks who call other people snowflakes. But I don't want to get too much into the why they're making these changes. I've got a link up to a article over at wired.com Dungeons and Dragons racial reckoning is long overdue. That goes into a lot of detail about all that. But what I'm interested in for the discussion today, there's been so much talk about the why. There hasn't been much talk about are the changes good, right? And I think the changes are quite good. Now, to back up, it's interesting to me that some, you know, maybe a small segment of old schoolers, old school D&D players are so, you know, threatened, I don't know what it is, offended by this, when race in Dungeons and Dragons has mechanically always kind of sucked to be honest with you. Uh, you know, a lot of things like racial level limits from 1E, AD&D, are perpetually house-ruled away. Uh, you know, oftentimes you hear of people getting rid of those limits and what now people are going to advocate for them. Uh other things like stat uh, minimums and maximums are also kind of terrible. Like, what? I, you know, I, I can't play a clumsy elf, you know, for the fun of it. It's like the game literally fights you uh, and, and forces you to raise ability scores, forces minimums on you. So that uh, in the end, you're, you know, it's, it's less flexible. You have kind of like less freedom. Now, some people will talk about, you know, tradition and this being the way it is or whatever. But there are so many different races, like in 5e, that I could just, you know, name for you. Like a, a different, like a shifter breed or a tabaxi or something. And unless you're a big time 5e player, you're not going to be able to tell me what their ability score bonuses are. So that just tells me that it's it's kind of meaningless. 
Um, it's just the way people are, are used to playing. But I would argue that it was never good. I mean, part of the reason you even end up playing some of the races is because it's, you know, what class they're able to play or what they're not going to be limited in eventually by level or just what the stats end up matching up for. Like, I want to play illusionist. Illusion, il <laughs> I want to play an illusionist. Looks like I'm playing a gnome. You know, it's not necessarily that you wanted to play a gnome. It's that it's not even min-maxing. It's just to, you know, to play a competent build or to even be allowed to play a class, you're stuck with certain things. And I don't know how anybody could think that, that, that that's good stuff. But it's also, I think, more mechanically interesting and more close to reality to kind of decouple this stuff. And I'll get in a little bit into more of that, but there's all, there are a couple of other blog posts that I'll point you at. Changes in the des design philosophy of modern Dungeons and Dragons over at the Dragons Never Forget blog, dragonsneverforget.wordpress.com. This is... Well, it's just Dragons Never Forget is the, their moniker. And then over at the Bell of Lost Souls blog, and that's J.R. Zambrano blogging, D&D, how race is changing in Dungeons and Dragons. Now, uh, in the Gothic lineages unearthed arcana, it kind of breaks down the idea of how they're going to handle stuff. In uh, future D&D books, the race options lack ability score increase traits, language traits, alignment traits, and any other trait that is purely cultural. Racial traits will reflect only the physical or magical realities of being a play player character who's a member of that lineage. In other words, you know, not all uh, dwarves, you know, it's possible to have a dwarf that ex that's extra strong or stronger than average now and not necessarily a dwarf that is, you know, you could play a weak stomached dwarf. You don't necessarily have to have a high constitution. But some of the other stuff is really mechanically good because whenever they give you uh, specific weapon or tool, you know, weapon proficiencies, like how many times, you know, you end up playing an elf, but you, you waste, you know, it feels like a wasted, uh, you know, they get like a weapon proficiency with a short sword and a bow. But if you don't use that, it's kind of just a wasted spot on your, on your character sheet. The tool proficiencies is even worse. You know what? You're going to be stuck with something you're really never going to use. I mean, it's better to be able to choose that. You know, it gives a little bit more diversity to culture that honestly is, is not only more realistic, but it's also more fanciful. You know, it's a, being locked into this stuff is, uh, is it doesn't make for a good reality game. It doesn't make a good fantasy game either. Also being able to select your skills or a great tool proficiency thing would be like, like in 5e, they've got like water vehicles, you know? So wouldn't that be, you know, maybe there's a, the dwarf that, that, uh, that pilots the, the boat on an undersea lake. So now you could use that instead of being stuck with, you know, whatever blacksmith you know it just makes all the 
it just made all of the builds so samey, especially in classic D&D. Because you're really kind of locked in to a certain narrow... It's like the illusion of choice, right? But then for stuff like, you know, an Aarakocra in 5e is like a flying race that has wings. Oh yeah, they can still, they can fly. Humans can't fly, you know, without a spell or, you know, they don't have wings. So it's things like that, that that make more sense. I think it's good to have a variety where you're, where you can put the ability scores where you want. And like I say, you'd think that, you would think that most people would be open to that considering these were the kind of things that people house ruled away in the first place. But no, 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 they've, they've got to complain about it. It reminded me about stuff that I learned way back in the day when I was an anthropology student that are some of the things that I explained to my daughter about just how amazing human beings are and our ability to adapt and change to our environment. For example, you know, people in Peru have a lot of them that live in the highest, you know, highest areas have developed a higher, you know, a more lung capacity. You know, their, their bodies are literally different than someone else's based on adapting, evolving to environment. Some of the, the, the first peoples in Australia, their skin behaves differently. It like the pores are larger. And they have like an ability to kind of adapt to going from really hot temperature to like really cold at night. That's just an amazing adaptation that the body makes. And so this to me kind of feels like it's, it's, it's leaving the cool ad- adaptation kind of themed stuff. But then as far as culture, how smart you are, how charismatic you are, uh, how well you can balance on the balance beam, all that stuff is kind of left left to the player. And I think that ends up making, it's going to make for in, more interesting characters, a bigger variety of characters. It's not going to be the same old cookie cutter. And, and it, it, it's, um, uh, it's more sensitive to how other people see the game. Like, I mean, when I was 10 years old and we're mowing down orcs, you know, I wasn't thinking of anything just just these are monsters, but I was 10 years old. I had no, (laughs) I had not developed any kind of real empathy or ability to, you know, think critically about colonialism and these kind of things. You know what I mean? But I think no matter which way you look at it, uh, both philosophically and just strictly mechanically, I think that these are these are really good changes. And I think that uh, when 6E eventually comes out, you know, from the get-go, this will be kind of the way it's presented. So anyway, I'm curious what people think about this. Uh, and so, like any topic that I cover during the podcast, you can leave me a message at anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. Let me know what you think, and I will play it on the show. Outro. All right. That was a lot of show. A lot of show. Might be the longest one I've done in a while, but 
lot of good content. So, um, yeah, next week I'm working on setting up an interview with some of the folks behind the planar compass zine for zine quest. I'm going to keep trying to just shine a light on what different people are doing. You know, I always do that, but uh, especially with the folks doing stuff for zine quest. So, um, I really want to thank James Crane for stopping by zine club and talking to us about that. Y'all be sure and check out that marching order zine. Check out all the stuff that I mentioned. Remember, it's all over at the Thought Eater blog. And while you're at it, if you're a blogger, slap me on your blog roll. If you like what I'm doing, the work that I'm doing, trying to get this cool stuff in front of you, please support the show. All you do is pledge a dollar a month by going to patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. Again, you can leave me a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash Thought Eater. Thanks to the folks for calling in and checking in with me. I've got a couple of, you know, little humorous deals under the outro tab as I've been doing recently. Next you'll hear from me is 5-Minute Friday. Good luck to all the folks with ZineQuest and good luck to all the consumers uh, not going not going completely bankrupt because it's a lot. A lot of good stuff. It was a long one, but it's over. So it's time for Logan to take us home. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade Zeroing in on your mental trade Gonna help you escape from the grind Thought eater gonna blow your mind Boom, boom, boo